Welcome to TBN's Praise Podcast, hosted by Matt and Lori Crouch, where you will hear interviews with some of your favorite Bible teachers, pastors, authors, and Christian leaders. On today's show, Matt and Lori Crouch host best-selling author and Bible teacher Jimmy Evans as they discuss biblical prophecies about the end times and their unmistakable parallels with today's world. The subject matter that we are about to discuss for one hour with Jimmy Evans usually involves yelling, <laughs> usually involves red veins sticking out the side of I'm people's necks. I'm just about neck. to get there. <laughs> We're going to flip on you tonight. No. <laughs> it usually involves a whole bunch of, um, you know. Opinion. Spittle, the whole thing. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just a thing. But for some reason, Jimmy, you can bring a bit of a calm to the midst of the storm in regard to it's the book of Revelation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you want us to take away from tonight's broadcast yeah. after one hour of sitting with you? Well, I think the Bible is the most important book in the world. 30% of the Bible is full of prophecy, 30%. Now, if prophecy wasn't important, why would God tell us so much about the future? Mm -hmm. And most of that 30% is about the times that we're living in, the end times. So, and you say, well, why would God say so much about the time we're living in? It's going to be the worst time in human history. We see what's happening in the world today. Jesus said, pestilences, and earthquakes and famines, that's just the birth pains. That's not the birth yet. And so now what we're seeing right now is intensifying when women have babies. Yes. They begin to have birth pains, but they get closer together and more severe. What we're seeing right now, since Israel became a nation in 1948, which actually started the end time clock, we've seen an intensity in birth pains. And so today's world, I've never seen anything like this COVID-19 thing. I've never seen what's happening in the world right now, the unrest, the famines, pestilences, killer hornets. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And so it's just apocalyptic. But these are just the birth pangs. And so I believe the greatest thing, well, first of all, this is going to be, especially the last seven years, the worst time in human history. We won't be here for that. And I want to comfort everybody with that. But the second thing is more people are alive today than have ever lived in human history combined. If you go from Adam to before this generation, we have almost 8 billion people alive right now. So the reason that God gave us end time prophecy was to help a huge number of people navigate the more, most severe time in human history. And the beautiful thing about prophecy, when you understand it, you can contextualize what's happening. If I were not a Christian, I think I would be terrified right now. In fact, Jesus said, when the end came, men's hearts would be failing them for fear. And that word fear is the Greek word phobos, and it also means terror. Jesus prophesied terrorism in the end times. And so I believe people, people right now are committing suicide over COVID-19. There's no doubt about it. Mental health, many people are depressed and discouraged. And this is widespread all around the world. And so Jesus talked about that. But when you understand the end times, I, I believe I have an understanding of it. When you understand the end times, Jesus said, look up. When you see these things begin to happen, don't get down. Don't get depressed. Look up. Your redemption is drawing near. So my, my takeaway from this is if you truly understand Bible prophecy, you're going to end this program. You're not going to go and buy guns and food and get in a bunker. Is You're going to understand that Jesus Christ is coming to take his bride, the church, to be with him. And as the world is going through seven years of the wrath of the Lamb, and that's what it's called in Revelation 6, we're going through seven years of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so Jesus said, pray that you may be worthy to escape all these things that are going to come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Why would Jesus tell us to pray that we could escape? The word escape there means escape. Mm 
It means get out. Jesus said, my coming will be like the days that Lot went out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, he, he was saying, my return will be just like the day that Lot went out. He didn't say, he didn't say pray that you may be worthy to endure all these things. He said, pray that you may be worthy to escape. So I believe that we're living in a time prior to the rapture, the return of Jesus for his church. Um, I believe these are severe times, but it's nothing compared to the tribulation. Yeah. Uh, the rider on the pale horse in Revelation 6 kills a quarter of mankind. Okay, right now there'd be almost 2 billion people. In Revelation 9, three plagues kill a third of mankind. In Revelation 16, all sea life is dead and a star called Wormwood hits the earth and decimates the earth. In Luke 17, the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah, buying, selling, marrying, giving in marriage. We're living in those days right now. Mm -hmm. uh, Noah was building his ark. He was an idiot. He had this huge ark on dry land. There was no, they had never rained. He had no trader to pull it to the lake. I mean, he's just, <laughs> just sitting there and dry. And he was an idiot until the rain started. Yeah. And when he was on the ark and the rain started, this idiot became a genius. And I'm saying your friends may make fun of you or your family may make fun of you or other people may make fun of you. But I'm telling you, when the rapture comes, you're going to be a genius when you're prepared for that day. But Jesus said, it's going to be business as usual. Okay, so let's, let's go to the end of the tribulation. And in Matthew 24, by the way, Jesus describes a rapture at the end of the tribulation. He said, immediately following the tribulation of those days, the Son of Man will come, gather the elect from the four corners. That's the, that's the rapture for people who got saved during the tribulation because there will be millions, if not billions of people that get saved during the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus said, unless those days had been cut short, no flesh would have survived. At Luke 17, he said, it'll be like buying and selling, marrying, giving and marriage, like the day that Lot went out of Sodom and Gomorrah, just you know, everybody mocking, everybody sinning. You can't get those two texts confused. Because you have to understand, marrying and giving in marriage, buying and selling, planning and building, at the end of the tribulation, the earth is a smoldering ruin. Jesus said, those days will be so severe, if I didn't cut those days short, no human being would survive. Okay, Zechariah 14, by the way, described nuclear holocaust. And so you just have this situation in the Bible where it couldn't get better for a Christian. If you're a Christian, we're living in a difficult world, like Noah did, like Lot did. Okay, we're living in a difficult world, but Jesus said, you're going to escape it. I'm going to come in the days of business as usual with a very evil world, and I'm going to take my remnant out, just like I did with Lot, just like I did with Noah. Okay, however, if you're not ready, you're going to be here during the worst seven years of human history, okay, that are described in the book of Daniel, that are described in the book of Revelation. Horrific, horrific. And say, so at the end of the tribulation, will it be buying and selling Marrying, given in marriage, you won't be going to any weddings, but you'll be going to about 30 funerals a day. Mm -hmm. There will be human, there will not be enough room to bury 4 billion human bodies or more. And so we're living in the days prior to the return of Jesus, okay, the rapture of the church, prior to the tribulation, and every person who's a Christian, you're going to go. The only, the only thing required to go on the rapture is just to know Jesus Christ. And so, and by the way, in Luke 17, Jesus said in Matthew 24, two men will be standing in the field. One taken, one left. And the word for taken there is the word paralambano uh, in the Greek. And it means to receive unto yourself. And you say, well, why would Jesus, and describe, and this is selective rapture. Jesus knows who belongs to him. Okay, so why would, you say, well, why would Jesus use the word paralambano in that text to say taken? Okay, because in John 14, he said to the disciples, I'm going away to my father's house. And I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if it were not true, I would have told you. And as surely as I go away to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back 
and take you, Paralambano, to be with me so that where I am, you can be also, and you'll be with me forever. And so Jesus today is at his father's house, the new Jerusalem, okay? Jesus is at his father's house and he's preparing a place for us. When a Jewish couple got married, they were betrothed. They weren't married, they were, but it was legal. They were betrothed and they had a glass of wine. And when they finished having the glass of wine, the groom would say to the bride, I will not drink this again until I drink this with you in my father's house. And he would go to his father's house. The bride would stay in her house. She had to sleep in her wedding dress. And all the bridesmaids had to sleep in their wedding clothes. Okay. And she had to keep a lamp because the groom always came at night or almost always came at night. So the groom would go back to his father's house and build a chuppah, build a wedding chamber. And when he was finished building the wedding chamber, he could not go back to get his bride. It was typically about a year. He couldn't go back and get his bride without his father's permission. Jesus said, no, I don't know the day or the hour. Only my father knows. If it took the average Jewish man a year to prepare a place for his bride, Jesus had been gone 2,000 years. You imagine what that place is going to be like? So Jesus is preparing a place for every single person watching right now. If you're a believer, he's preparing a place. And as surely as he left, he's going to return. Okay. This is the importance about the teaching of the return. Jesus promised he was going to return. Mm -hmm. I'm going away. I'm going to return. And when the groom returned, he had the friends of the bridegroom that came with him and they blew trumpets and they shouted as they arrived at the bride's house and the bride would get up in her wedding clothes, had her lamp lit and she and her wedding party would return to, the, uh, to his house and they had a seven day wedding. The Jewish wedding lasted seven days. And so seven years in heaven, seven days. And so the, Jesus promised that he was going to come back and take us. And the word paralambano that he used in John 14 is exactly the same word he uses there in Luke 17 and Matthew 24. We're waiting for the return of Jesus to take us to be with him forever and to marry him in his father's house. At the last supper, he had a glass of wine with the disciples. And he said, I won't do this again until I do it with you in my father's house. So, Sister Crouch, I see that you have your Bible open. Do you have a question? <laughs> well, I was at Matthew 24 because you talk about the, the falling away, the great right. falling away. And I think we're seeing that. Oh, my goodness. I think we're seeing that today. Oh, my goodness. What were those statistics you were talking about a while well, ago? Well, I'm, I'm about to turn 67. I'm going to tell everybody my <laughs> uh, I grew up in, a, in a, uh, an environment where all of our neighbors were Christians, all of our teachers were Christians. Mm -hmm. The Ten Commandments hung on the walls of our classrooms. I never went to a school where there wasn't a prayer over the loudspeaker every day in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Um, this, it was just a different world. Okay. So fast forward to today. Okay. Um, you can't say boys and girls. One of the worst and horrific things that's happened in my, I, I never dreamed it would get this bad. I really didn't. I haven't heard that. Yeah. Well, teachers in our church. We have teachers in our church that come up and they're, they're telling us we have been instructed by the school of uh, the school district that we can no longer refer to our students as boys and girls. Oh, and if they insist on being uh, uh, called by a different pronoun, then you have to do that. Uh, of course, we see the, the, the bathrooms, the, you know, the sports. We have biological males playing in women's sports, beating the heck out of the girls and they won't say anything about it. It's the most unfair thing in the world. But, but the worst thing in the world is they're mutilating little children. Mm -hmm. And these woke parents and the woke society, schools are trying to do this without the parents' permission. And so they're taking these little children. Little children don't know anything. That, you know, they, don't, they don't know much. They're, the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of, heart of a child. And these parents, 
our very well-known, very uh, famous parents are saying, we're going to raise our children gender neutral mm -hmm. and give them a gender neutral name and not put them in boys' clothing or girls' clothing, not let them play with boys' toys or girls' toys because we want them to get to an age where they make this decision. That is the craziest thing. They shouldn't even be able to make the decision on where to ride their bike. Right. They should make the decision to, to permanently mutilate themselves. That's what happens. When they take these chemicals and when they go through transition, they mutilate themselves. Now, there's a website called sexchangeregret.com. It's a wonderful website by a Christian man who went through the whole transition process. From a, became from a man to a woman, uh, woke up depressed, discouraged. It wasn't what he thought it was. 41% of people on his website, he gives the statistic, 41% of people who go through sex change attempt suicide afterwards. And the reason is because of just disappointment. They don't wake up different down there. They wake up dead down there. They're not sexually different. They're sexually dead. And so it's cosmetics. It's 100% cosmetics. And so, but we live in a world where you can't say that. Right. If you come out and say, no, no, they're, see Genesis 1, he made them male and female. Can you believe that's controversial? Right. It's as simple as that. And so the, the Bible, most Christians today don't believe the Bible is the only source of truth. And they don't believe that there's any such thing as absolute moral uh, values. Christians, people who are Christians, and this was a Barna survey that came out just a couple of weeks ago. So we're living in a world where the world that we lived in previously, apostasy means you fall away from a position you previously held. Okay. And so you can't have an apostasy unless you were previously over here. Our society was Judeo-Christian. The values that guided our society and most of the world were Judeo-Christian. Not anymore. The, the Bible, we're not just living in a post-Bible era. We're living in an anti-Bible era. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, the day of the Lord has not come because they thought that they had, the rapture happened, they'd be left behind. He said, and it won't come unless the apostasy comes first. The only sign that he gave in 2 Thessalonians 2 that would precede the coming of Jesus was a great deception and a falling away from truth. So I'm saying if, if we're taking the signs of the times mm -hmm. and we're saying the signs of the times are announcing the coming of Jesus, Jesus must be pretty soon, coming pretty soon because I have never in my lifetime seen the level of deception that is in the world today, even with Christians. Yeah. Christians falling away. Pastors renouncing their faith in Christ. You, you guys know yeah. of famous pastors, and they're not just backsliding. They're coming out and they're renouncing their faith and saying, I no longer believe in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I never thought I would see anything like this, but it's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Yeah. Okay, we are discussing uh, Tipping Point, and this is a balanced version of it. My father was a very close personal friend of Hal Lindsey till he passed away. Hal is still with us. So I've heard a hundred conversations in front of cameras, at dinners, aboard airplanes, wherever, about this subject. What I thought I heard over a whole bunch of years was things are gonna get awful and that the reason that we taught the end times was to get everyone to go underground, not, not only figuratively, but maybe even literally. Get in the basement, get some baked beans, cover up and hide away from this coming awfulness, okay? Yep. So when we're young, you know, when we were young, we thought, dear Lord, 
you know, we're never going to get old enough to get married. Certainly, we're never going to be old enough to have children. Certainly, we're never going to see grandchildren. Not a chance. So, you know, we halfway ran down the aisle to get (laughs) married, you know, in essence, so that we could at least experience that part before, you know, we had to go underground with baked beans in a basement. (laughs) Okay. So what, but what you seem to be telling us is to live life that see, that's a, that's a twist here for us. And, you know, we've discussed this subject before with you and it was hugely viewed. So what, what I think we need to make sure the audience is, is hearing is that you have a balanced perspective to uh, the end times. I have a bigger question, but I want you just to respond to that so far. Was I hearing correctly or incorrectly? Uh, absolutely correctly. It, it, uh, and I totally agree with what you're saying. Many end times teachings are so irresponsible because they breed the exact mindset you're talking about. Okay. Let me, let me say this. So related to Christians, there's three types related to the world. One type of Christian, the world is our home. And they're, they're not Jesus-centered, they're worldly, they're distracted, they're materialistic. Another kind of Christian is the world is our enemy, is this is a big bad world and we're supposed to hide at home and not to get our hands dirty. The third type of Christian is the world is our mission field. Hmm. That as long as we're here, we're here to glorify God and to expand His kingdom. Now, so you go to uh, Matthew 25. Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are a contiguous text. All Jesus is talking about the end times. In Matthew 24, he's talking about the signs of the times. But in Matthew 25, he's talking about how to prepare for judgment when he comes. The first parable is the virgins. Know Jesus. The whole parable is about you have to know Jesus. The five foolish virgins who didn't get into the wedding feast, he said, I don't know you. So the number one thing that you do to prepare for Jesus' return is know Jesus. But the second parable is the parable of the the stewards. And it says that there was a master who went on a far journey. But before going on that journey, he distributed his goods among his servants. And to one he gave five talents. This is a massive amount of money. To one he gave two talents. To one he gave one talent, each according to their own ability. And the word ability there means demonstrated capacity. He wasn't favoring the one with five talents or disfavoring the one with one talent. He had seen these guys at work. And God is a good steward. He doesn't waste So to the degree that I have the capacity to steward is to the degree that he gives me more talents. It says the master went on a long journey. Then he came back and called him into an account. And the first man came back and said, Master, you gave me five talents. And I took your five talents and I invested them. And here you have five more talents. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master because you are faithful with little. I'll give you much more. The man with two talents came up and said, Master, you gave me two talents. And while you were gone, I took those two talents and I invested them. Now here, you have two more talents. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You enter into the joy of your master. The man with one talent came up and said, I don't like you. Mm. You're a mean guy. And you come and you gather where you didn't scatter. And you reap what you didn't sow. So when you left, I took your talent and I wrapped it up in a handkerchief. I hid it in the ground. Take back what's yours. And Jesus said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I was an austere man, 
and that I plant, reap what I didn't sow, and gather where I didn't scatter. So you should have taken my talent and at least put it in the bank so that it would have been drawing interest, and I would have gotten interest on my return. He said, you cast this wicked servant into the outer darkness. So here's my point. We are here to glorify God and to expand His kingdom and to take the talents of our life and to invest them in this world to win souls for Christ. See, TBN, you guys, I mean, it's incredible what you're doing. Your, your mom and dad started this ministry. You guys are doing such an incredible job. You are using your talents for Jesus. And when He returns, you're going to be in a real good place to give an account. Many people watching right now will be in a good place. Now, you know, I'm talking about teaching Sunday school or just helping at the nursing home or just, you know, helping people. You don't have to climb a mountain for God to reward you. Mm -hmm. He said, if, if you give a cup of cold water to a little child, you won't lose your reward. So everybody's a hero when you're, on, when you're a part of the team. But here's my point. There will be an accountability. This is the whole point. So J Jesus tells the signs of the times in, in Matthew 24. In Matthew 25, he says, if you want to be ready when I return, you need to know me, parable of virgins. You need to be ready to be called into an account. And so the, the point being, you see, in that uh, Barna research poll, most people believe that the purpose of their lives is to feel good about themselves. Most people right now, many people watching right now, what's the purpose of your life? Feel good about myself. We have lived in a very narcissistic culture. The interesting thing about that is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, in the last days, very dangerous times will come because men will be lovers of themselves. Okay, we live in a very narcissistic culture yep. where people love themselves. The purpose of our lives isn't to feel good about ourselves. The purpose of our lives is to glorify Jesus Christ and to expand His kingdom. Now, I have talents. You have talents. Everybody has one talent, okay? Because even the wicked man had one talent. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a talent, and that talent is not there to make us comfortable. Mm -hmm. That talent is not there to make us popular. That talent is there to make us effective. Mm -hmm. Jesus is gone. Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus will return one day. And if you want to be ready for the return of Jesus, it, it means don't go underground. Right. Don't, don't navel gaze or stargaze. You know, if you want to be prepared for the return of Jesus, it means take your talent and use it to glorify God and expand His kingdom. And here's what I say. Plan like Jesus isn't coming back for 100 years, but live like He's coming back today. Hmm. You, you want to be ready. Let me just make sure we're in agreement, okay? okay. And make sure I... You agree that we, our generation, got taught Bible prophecy that might have caused us to drive underground. Absolutely. Okay. We're on a good footing then. Yeah. We hope you're enjoying the Praise Podcast. We'll get back to the interview soon. So, I remember a very important moment in my life. My dad was speaking at Washington for Jesus, 1980. It was just an amazing event. And he screams out, God has done all he's ever going to do about the devil. It's up to us to take it back in Jesus' name. That made him very proactive. My dad was very connected to Paul Bilheimer, destined for the yep. throne. We are on the job training for eternity. Right. This is aggressive time. Get after it. Get it done. All right. I'm grateful my, that my father had a very aggressive attitude to get things done. So I was always just as confused as I could be as to Bible prophecy teachers that were saying, get food. I mean, we see it today all the time. There, there's, 
those on Christian television that say to, you know, get a, get five years of food and scare the heck out of you and try to sell you survivor gear. There you go. All right. Thank you. So all of that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So when I take my dad's words that impacted me, God's done all he's ever going to do about the devil. It's up to us now to enforce it on earth and to go and get things done. So there's this disconnect in my, look, I'm not even going to blame everyone roughly our age. Me, there was a disconnect in me that didn't see prophecy teaching as positive. I saw it as negative. Yeah. So that meant you kind of didn't really want to even wade into the book of Revelation at all. <laughs> here's, my, here's my question. If there was a generation that missed Jesus, and that's true, 2,000 years ago, right. many missed the Messiah. That's right. He was here. And they missed him because they expected him to go sit on a throne in Israel. Some of Bible teaching of prophecy says we're waiting for Jesus to come sit on a throne in Israel before everything's right. But didn't Jesus come and delegate all authority? Didn't he say, I have all power and I delegate it? Ruling and reigning. You know? You know, in heaven and earth, I have all power. He delegates it to us, the believers in him to go and accomplish great things, greater things than than we would do. Holy Spirit is here. The power is with us. What if Bible prophecy taught the way we heard it or the way I heard it is making me miss my appointed time? Yeah. in earth by causing me to, to go underground and eat baked beans in a basement somewhere. Well, Help me get okay. out of the basement and up and operating aggressively in the world. So I say to you, Matt, the purpose of your life is to go out there in the field today and harvest as much as you can. Okay. And here, I want to show you this book that will help you because some things are going to happen today that you need to know about. But when they start happening, I just want you to know you need to work harder. Because it just means the day is coming to a close. God. Okay, you're now you're yeah. now you're telling me what I need. No one ever said that to yeah. me in regard to this teaching. Exactly, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. So, so we're working in the world as laborers in a harvest, mm-hmm. and God gave us a book so we wouldn't get overwhelmed, because He knew that the end would be very difficult. Okay, and that's what end time prophecy says: the difficulty is going to happen. So when we see the difficulties coming, we don't slow down, we speed up. Mm -hmm. Because I know I don't have that much longer to get get this harvest in. And the total irresponsibility of the kind of teaching that you're talking about is what they say is, "Uh uh-uh, don't go in the harvest. Mm -hmm. You go in your basement, you know, and you, you, it's about you. Mm-hmm. You survive. You're, you're one of the frozen chosen. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus comes, you're going to be one of the special ones that was ready. No. When he comes and he finds you hiding or and not, not investing your talent or whatever, that's not good. And I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. But what I am saying is this. The wise servants are the ones that they start seeing enemies coming in. Luke 10, Jesus says this. And I'm going to be a little obnoxious in how I say this. Luke 10, Jesus said, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions. That shows you the nature of the enemy. Mm-hmm. And over all, A-double-L, all, the power of the enemy. And nothing, nothing, nothing shall by any means harm you if you use the authority. Mm-hmm. Jesus has left us, your father, that's an exactly true statement. 
We have authority over all the power of the enemy. And you say, why are so many Christians getting hammered? We're not using the authority. We have authority over, let me say something else. So in Matthew 16, Jesus said to the disciples, uh, he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Let me tell you something about gates. They're stationary objects that are designed to keep certain people in and certain people out. They're, they're stationary. Okay. You've never been attacked by a gate. You've never been followed by a gate. They're stationary. Okay. So the gates of hell are areas in our society where Satan is trying to keep people in bondage in the church out. And Jesus said, whatever area of society you decide to take, the enemy can't keep you up. If you strategize and if you desire to end poverty, to end divorce, to end whatever it is, if you will strategize and go after it spiritually, not fighting people, but fighting the real enemy who is Satan, nothing, nothing can keep you away. The gates of hell themselves cannot prevail against my church. We are an overcoming invasive force to take the truth and love of the gospel into every highway and byway into the world. That, when the church is at our best, the first man in the New Testament was John the Baptist. And Jesus says, since the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The devil only gives up ground by force. He, he's not a nice guy. Yeah. He, he doesn't like nice people. And it doesn't matter how smart we are or gifted we are. We have to use spiritual violence to take the world back, to take, to get people out of bondage. Yeah. Okay. So my dad preached this. He was all about people are wanting to, you know, just barely, you know, make it to heaven someday. And he believed in the glorious, victorious church. Right. And I think a lot of people see that we're all just going to be crawling to the gates of heaven, you know, barely getting along. Um, so basically, is it correct to say that the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord now? The church began 100% Jewish. On the day of Pentecost, 100% of the church was Jewish. Okay. And they began the gospel. Okay. Then we got led into the club when Cornelius' house got saved. Mm -hmm. And then the church became Gentile and we kicked the Jews out. So in the book of Revelation, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation are the letters to the seven churches. Okay. The church is mentioned, I think, is 27 times in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And then we're never mentioned again until Revelation 19 with Mary's Supper of the Lamb. Israel is mentioned constantly in the tribulation chapters of the book of Revelation. Here's what I'm saying. The gospel started with Israel and it will end with Israel. I do not believe the church will reach the entire world before Jesus comes, before the rapture. Say, so why did that happen? There'll be 144,000 on fire, spirit-filled, absolutely committed Jews during the tribulation that will preach the gospel supernaturally around the world. And there'll be two witnesses on the Temple Mount. I believe it's Enoch and Elijah, two men in the Old Testament didn't die. There'll be two witnesses on the Temple Mount. And these men will do signs and wonders all over the world. They'll call down fire from heaven to their enemies. If anyone tries to kill them, they'll be killed in like manner. These men are so despised, according to Revelation 11, that the Antichrist kills them three and a half years into the tribulation, lays their dead bodies in the streets of Jerusalem, and the whole world sends gifts to each other. By the way, it says the whole world watches it. We have the technology for the whole world to watch. Right. And it says the whole world hates them so much that they send gifts to each other. You say, why did the world hate them so much? Because they stood on the Temple Mount in Israel and preached the gospel and nobody could stop them. They praised Jesus and nobody could stop them. I also believe it's possible that they're the ones who protect the temple builders. 
See, and I've taught this before, that the Antichrist confirms the seven-year covenant with Israel. And because of that, they get to build the temple. It could be true. But it also could be true that the two witnesses show up on the temple mount and said, boys, start building, and no one's going to touch it. And remember, as soon as the, they're killed, the Antichrist goes into the temple and stops the sacrifices. See, another thing that's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation is the Jews are going to be sacrificing animals on the temple mount. Can you imagine what PETA will do? Can you imagine what the world will do when they start animal sacrifices? So the Antichrist goes in and stops them. He's the hero of the world. But we're going to have 144,000 Jews preaching the gospel around the world. And the two witnesses, hear what I'm saying. The gospel started with the Jews. The gospel will end with the Jews. I do believe the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. So we're doing part of it. The Jews are going to do the rest of it. And then Jesus will return and rule for a thousand years from the Temple Mount in Israel. Is it possible that we're in the millennial reign now? No. And let me tell you why, Matt. And that is during the millennial rule of Christ, uh, we rule and reign with a rod of iron. Jesus physically returns. Now, I believe in the physical return. Dispensational theology is, is a literal theology. And so there are people who allegorize prophecy. Nothing could be more dangerous. Now, when the, when the Bible allegorizes, then you interpret the, alleg the allegory. But when the Bible says something, so in Zechariah 14 and Revelation 19, but they're matching texts. Jesus physically returns to the Mount of Olives. When Jesus was ascended uh, 10 days before Pentecost and he ascended into heaven, the angels appeared and said, in the same manner he left, he's coming back. In Zechariah 14, it says his feet touched the Mount of Olives and it cleaves in two. And he slays the enemies of God and he rules and reigns from the Temple Mount in Israel. Revelation 19 says that I said heaven open and Jesus, the Word of God, returns with us. By the way, uh, Zechariah 14 says he comes and all the saints with him. So Zechariah 14 and Revelation 19 talk about the physical appearing of Jesus. Matthew 24, he said after the tribulation of those days, They'll see the sign of the Son of Man in the, in the sky and the Son of Man returning with His power and great glory. Every eye will see Him. So if you allegorize the millennium and say the church is Jesus, the church is the bride of Christ, and we are now ruling and reigning. Hey, we're not ruling and reigning. I mean, we're not ruling the earth with a rod of iron. Okay. Right. During the millennium, there is a world full of lost people and no one gets saved. The age of grace ends at the return of Jesus at the end of the tribulation. And the reason we know that is because it says that Jesus returns with the fierceness and wrath of Almighty. Jesus isn't sweet Jesus because the age of grace is over. Yeah. We don't need grace. Yeah. We are in the image of Jesus. In other words, we have been transformed and we are perfect. We'll never sin again. And we rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. You don't need grace when you're perfect. Well, why doesn't the world get grace? The people who survived the tribulation, the millennium is their punishment. And the Bible says in, in Revelation, they sought death, but they couldn't find it. There will be many people during the tribulation who want to kill themselves and God will supernaturally keep them from it. You say, why is that true? They are so evil that their punishment is to live under a thousand year rule of Jesus Christ and his church. Think about that. Okay. So what you're declaring in tipping point is that Bible prophecy is to prepare us to understand the times right. that they're going to get, you know, apostasy is going to become, and we're kind of already there and all that kind of stuff. But the worst mistake that maybe some Revelation Bible teachers 
have caused people to not engage in the world until the next big event, which is the rapture of the church. So the idea that Bible prophecy is saying half the church is going to fall away. And so don't be all confused about that. I'm telling you in advance. That's exactly right. But Bible prophecy hasn't done a good job. If it, it needs a branding campaign and maybe you're doing that, that you're telling us to get more aggressive, to do more work harder. And that has not historically been the takeaway. It's been very selfish. The, the end times teaching has been sensational and selfish. All these things are going to happen. You know, you get all excited and get scared and you need to get ready. Jesus is coming in a moment. It's kind of like, you know, I'm going to sit here and wait for Jesus to come and I don't have any other responsibilities. In my teaching and the way that I believe, this may be the last day Mm. that I can win somebody to Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm. This may be the last day that I can do something meaningful on the earth. Do that right now then. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, God made you for a purpose and that purpose is not simply to exist. It is certainly not to sit around worrying about yourself. The most miserable life on earth is just a self-focused life. God made you to glorify Him and to expand His kingdom. I'm talking about as a stay-at-home mom, as a first responder, as a nurse, as a lawyer. Whoever you are and wherever you are, you're not just a lawyer, you're a Christian lawyer. You're a believer and every believer is in the ministry. Every believer is in full-time ministry. And that doesn't mean you preach to everybody, and that doesn't mean you thump the Bible to everybody. It means you are there for the purpose of representing Jesus Christ. As a young salesman working for my uncle, uh, about 20 years old, didn't know much of the Bible, I led a, a person that I worked with to Christ as a 20-year-old who just got saved. And all of my life, my belief has been wherever I am, I'm a Christian first. Wherever I am, I represent Christ first. And I believe that the end is coming. I believe that the rapture is coming soon. And my mentality is this may be my last day. And I'm saying that to you, serve Jesus, focus on Jesus. But remember, there are many people in the world who don't know Jesus. They need to hear about him. And if they don't, they're going to go through the worst seven years on earth. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, anyone that you love, you do not want them going through that horrific seven years. And the answer is to live your life for Jesus, to be a good example of him and to share your faith with others. If they don't know how to accept Jesus, lead them in a prayer, get the, let's get the work done. Absolutely. It could be the last day. (laughs) Just pray after me, say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you and I invite you to come in to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to change and to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you're a Christian and Jesus is now in your heart and he wants to have a personal relationship with you. Christianity isn't a religion. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. Start reading the Bible, start praying and listen for God's voice and follow him. Speed round. Are we living in the end times? Absolutely. In Joel chapter 3, God says, In those days and at that time, when I regather the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will enter into judgment with the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat for uh, how they've treated my people, my heritage Israel, 
whom they've scattered among the nations, and they've divided up my land. Okay. Well, God brought Judah and Jerusalem back in 1948. That's how we know the prophetic clock started. Remember, in those days, and at that same season of time, when you see Israel come back, in that same season, I'm going to enter into judgment with the nations. But how they've treated my heritage, my Israel, they've scattered them among the nations. Check that box, and they've divided up my land. In 2005, the United States and the United Nations forced Israel out of the Gaza Strip, very lucrative economic area, of not only the, the Mediterranean there, but also farming. And so we forced them out. Seven days later, uh, Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast of America. And uh, Jewish rabbis said, this is God's retribution on America, dividing up the land of Israel. And so even the current peace plan being offered divides up an area of East Jerusalem and also the West Bank. And so the United Nations and the United States have forced Israel to give up the West Bank, to give up Gaza. Now we're trying to force them to give up East Jerusalem, part of East Jerusalem in that. So everything that is said there in Joel 3 is coming true. But God says this, I'm going to come into judgment with the nations of the world because you've scattered my people around the world. The anti-Semitism is rising during COVID-19 because many people are blaming COVID-19 on the Jews. Okay, as amazing as that seems, <laughs> the Jews are having to move out of Europe. There's increased persecution on university campuses in America. And so this has been the safest place for Jews in the world. But now many of them are immigrating back to Israel because that's the only safe place that they can find, not, not as though it's that safe. Mm -hmm. So the world has mistreated Israel. We're making them divide up their land. And God says, I'm coming to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. By the way, the word Jehoshaphat means Jehovah is judged. The valley between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount is the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And Jesus is going to return. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives. The whole world will have come against Jerusalem. Zechariah 12 is where God says, I'm going to make Jerusalem a very heavy stone that all the nations of the earth, anyone who tries to move it will be hurt, even though all the nations have come against it. Wow. Armageddon is all the world coming against Jerusalem. He said, well, why in the whole world come against Jerusalem? Because Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli government have said, Jerusalem is the eternal indivisible capital of Israel, and we will not give it to anybody. And the world, then that is the statement that will cause Armageddon. And the United, if it were not for the United States, the United Nations would already have come against Israel. The United Nations Human Rights Group, they have criticized Israel three times more than the other country. And of 97 resolutions that were passed, like I believe it was 2015 to 2018, 97 resolutions passed by the UN G General Assembly, 83 were against Israel. Hmm. You could rename the United Nations the Hate Israel Club. Right. They absolutely hate Israel. That's why Christians in general should care about what America does in relationship absolutely. to Israel. Okay. Absolutely. How should hmm. believers respond to increasing immorality? It's not just the increasing immorality, Matt. It is the lowering of absolute standards, okay? Where you say, is adultery wrong? No, not really. You know, it's, I think that you, you can just be with whoever you want to and have sex with whoever you want to. You know, is homosexuality wrong? Is this wrong? Is this wrong? Well, the Bible has an absolute moral standard, okay? And, and by the way, in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve fell, the first thing that Satan went after was their sexuality, okay? So God shows up after Adam and Eve fell and he said, Adam, what is this that you've done? And Adam said, I'm ashamed because I'm naked. I'm afraid because I'm naked. And God said, who told you you're naked? Well, God doesn't ask questions to get answers. Right. Okay. So here's what God was saying. 
Don't you realize when you sin, Adam, that you expose your soul to the devil? And he used that opening to whisper a lie that you were sexually defective. Whoever owns your sex controls you. Whoever controls your sex controls you and your entire future. And that's why Satan has been after our sexuality from the very beginning. And when I hear people say, you know, I think I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, a woman trapped in a man's body, I believe him. I believe the this, this Satan wants to deceive us sexually yeah. so he can destroy our lives. Sex is the covenant seal and sign of marriage. Every covenant has a seal and a sign. Okay, the seal seals the deal. You consummate your marriage by having sex. But a covenant sign is a sign of good faith. The covenant seal of the new covenant is water baptism. You seal the deal. But the covenant sign is communion. Every time you have, have a, the, take communion, you're saying, God, I remember. I remember the commitment we made. Every time you have sex, you're saying, I remember the commitment I made to you to love and cherish you for the rest of our lives. It's sacred. Sex is the most special and sacred part of marriage. Okay, But in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul says, don't you realize when you have sex with someone else, you become one with them? Don't you realize that when you go have sex with a prostitute, you become one with her? And he says, every, every sin that a man commits is outside his body, except sex. When you have sex with someone else, you, you commit a sin against your own body. And you say, wait, wait just a minute. Well, why would that be true? Well, let me explain. And there was a pastor that, that, that used an illustration in this message. And he used carpet and duct tape. And he took a, a piece of carpet and he put duct tape on it. And then he stripped the tape off and it had some carpet on it, obviously. Okay. And then he put the tape back again on the carpet and pulled it out. And even more carpet came out. Then he did it again. And finally, the tape wouldn't stick. Okay. And so here's what he said. Every time you have sex with a person, when you finish, a part of that person is in you. And you make a one night stand. You go hire a prostitute. You have sex with this person, this person. You have that done so many times. You're incapable then of intimacy. You're incapable of bonding with someone else. And that's why many people, you need to break soul ties. And a soul tie is a sexual, we are not animals. Our sexuality is connected to our spirits. Yeah. When we have sex, it is a spiritual experience. And what the devil has done is he's turned human sexuality into an animal act and completely stripped it of all of its spiritual significance. It is the covenant seal and sign of marriage. It is sacred. It is special. And it's something that when we, when I sin sexually, God, God's a forgiving God. He, you know, all of us miss the mark. God is a forgiving God. But the point is, in America today, we've just thrown out the rules. Right. It's just like I can live any way I want to. And look at what is happening. Look at the destruction of the nuclear family. Look at the way that children are being devastated by this. And so I'm saying to every person, God's plan for your life is so special and your sexuality is so special. Don't you lower your standards because the world around you have lowered their standards. We are people of God and God has called us to a higher purpose. And again, we're not perfect. And God is a very gracious, forgiving God. But the Bible defines sexuality Playboy magazine doesn't define sexuality. Pornography doesn't define sexuality. The world doesn't define sexuality. It belongs to God. Yes. Our sexuality, and by the way, in 1 Corinthians 6, the, Paul says, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Mm -hmm. My sexuality belongs to God. And Christians living in this world need to be reminded we will be accountable to Jesus. And he owns every single thing we have and we're accountable to him. Yeah. Due to time, this has got to be a yes Good or no. Question. Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just a yes or no. Will Christians go through the tribulation? Absolutely not. Okay. This book, Tipping Point, on the back of the book here, it says, Our COVID-19 
and other world events announcing the imminent return of Jesus. Why I asked that question, I want you to kind of land the plane here with, with that, is because COVID-19 is context. This book was written, it's right on the back there, COVID-19. Everyone wants to realize that you're making these statements inside of the context of the world they're living in with the loss of jobs, right. with the, all of the, you know, I think we're going to, we're going to end up with this term later called 2020. You were 2020, you know, <laughs> uh, sorry about the 2020, you know, yeah. your car get, you know, somebody keys your car, <laughs> your car got 2020, <laughs> you know? So basically you're writing this, distributing this book and making your context inside of COVID-19, right. which was an RNA virus that changed the world. Right. Okay. So the question on the back of your book is, are COVID-19 and other world events, including murder hornets, uh, announcing the imminent return of Jesus? Yes. Imminency is one of the most important parts of Jesus' return. Imminency means everything, you know, everything's going on kind of normal. Uh, the signs of the times are coming true, but it could come at any moment. At the end of the tribulation, when the abomination of desolation takes place in the middle of the tribulation, just count it off, you have 42 months. There's no imminency to that whatsoever. When the rapture happens at the beginning of the tribulation, we don't know. He could come today, he could come a year from now, 10 years from now, but it's imminent. The signs of the times are just simply saying he's on his way. When you, if you're driving to Denver and you see a sign that says Denver 300 miles, it tells you you're on the right road. You expect if you've driven a little bit longer, it's going to say Denver 200 miles. Denver 100 miles. And it's just telling you, you're getting close. The signs of the times are telling us the Bible's true. It is mathematically impossible that the Bible could predict this many future events by chance. The Bible is absolutely a true book. Okay. And it's telling us Jesus returned 300 miles. Jesus returned 200 miles. Mm -hmm. Jesus returned 100 miles. Am I saying that so everybody can go back to sleep? Jesus is coming? No, I'm saying that because we have very few hours left to do God's work. And we need to be in the vineyard. We need to be in the harvest. And we need to be doing everything we can to glorify God and bring in the harvest before Jesus returns. How many times have we said this year, Jesus, come quickly. Lord, yeah. come quickly. And this lady said, um, she said, every day that Jesus doesn't come back, that God doesn't allow Jesus to come back, is only His mercy right. and His grace upon That's the right. earth. That's exactly to right, give you just a little more time. That's right. To, to get more people saved. So your book is t is encouraging us to get after it. You bet. Not get underground, but to be one of the servants that invested the talent right. and have a return to show. Okay? People that are that are waiting expectantly for Jesus are people who know Jesus, people who are serving Jesus, and people who are reaching out to people in need. And other people, they may be raptured, but if you don't know Jesus, you're not going. Right. If you're not serving Jesus, you may go, but you're just not gonna have the same reward as others. Uh, if you're not loving people, that should be a sign to you that you don't know Jesus very well. And so Jesus is coming. We need to be knowing Jesus, serving Jesus and loving people. So you did a good job. So good. <laughs> you, you didn't, you didn't make me want to run out and buy a bucket full of <laughs> grain or beans or something like that. You, you, you know, it is just, it never made any sense. No. So thank you. We're supposed to have our 
you know, aggressive stance to get more done. And that Bible prophecy is just supposed to be tracking so that you're not super confused That's right. when church members fall away into apostasy. It was prophesied. Well, and, and, Statistically, and it was even prophesied. Absolutely. And Paul said, comfort each other. Yeah. Talking about the, see, every chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians predicts the return of Jesus. And Paul said, comfort each other with these words. Mm. Well, you can't comfort me with the knowledge I'm going to go through the tribulation. Right. And, and Christians say, well, God's going to supernaturally protect us. No, He's not. Revelation 20 talks about all the people who are beheaded for their witness to Jesus and they wouldn't take the mark. Revelation 13 says the, the Antichrist has given authority over the saints to overcome them. We're not protected. Christians during the tribulation, and there'll be many Christians that get saved during the tribulation, they're not protected. There's going to be mass martyrdom. We're protected. God, God comfort each other with these words. Not that there won't be difficulty or persecution before Jesus returns, but it's nothing compared to the latter. And so we thank God that we have a God so wonderful that He told us the future in advance. Yes. And Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. That's right. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, right. what you're going to wear. That's right. So, so we should expand TBN. We should buy more television stations. We Absolutely. should do, you know. Plan like you know, not somebody gonna, else will come on with it. <laughs> well, if you if live like Jesus, plan like Jesus isn't coming back yeah. for 100 years. Get get a job, get an education, get married, have babies, get, have a career, you know, plan your future. And, and that that glorifies God. Yeah. You know, he doesn't want us coming when he comes back for just us to be, be sitting around. Yeah. But be prepared for the fact that he may come today because he might. People ask me all the time and, and in that book. Uh, I say the end is here. I'm, I'm not saying I, I know the exact date, and I'm not saying he's coming this year, or next mm -hmm. year, or whatever. All I'm saying is, is based on the prophecies in the Bible, I don't believe we're living just in the end times. I believe we're living at the end of the end times. Mm -hmm. I believe we're in the in the times of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. You have to do the yes or no thing. <laughs> Revelation is good news. Yes. Wait, 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 wait. for Christians. Yeah. And Revelation, as taught by Jimmy Evans in this book, is a inspiring book. The, the number one comment, if you'll go on Amazon and you'll look at all the comments in Amazon, when people get through reading my book, they just, they're so excited about Jesus. They're so excited Beautiful. about living for God. It's comforting. It's exciting. It renews your faith in God. And as I said at the beginning of the program, the takeaway from this book is you'll be able to understand the times that we're living in and you'll understand that Jesus is coming for us and we're not going to go through that horrific period of time called the tribulation. I love it. Know Him, serve Him, love others. That's right. Every soul matters. We'll see you next time. Get Tipping Point. <laughs> love you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of TBN's Praise Podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, and consider leaving a review. We look forward to having you join us back here next week.